BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends. In this holiday season, we're happy to welcome you back to the Bill Press Pod. Good to have you with us. If you were appalled by the violent invasion of the U.S. Capitol last January 6th, and what true American was not, you'll be shocked to learn, maybe, that that is not the end of the story. In the latest issue of The Atlantic, political reporter Barton Gelman warns that January 6th was only a warm-up, a dress rehearsal for Donald Trump's next attempt to overthrow the government, which is already underway. In his article, Trump's Next Coup Has Already Begun, Gelman details the efforts led by Donald Trump in state after state to rig the election process so that even if Trump loses again, he still wins. It's a clear and present danger, a direct assault on our democracy, which Gelman laments neither most Americans nor the Democratic Party nor the media are taking seriously enough. Well, the rest of the media may not be taking it seriously, but I do, which is why I'm so excited to have Barton Gelman join us today on the Bill Press Pod to tell us how bad it is and what we should be doing about it. Bart Gelman, good to connect with you. Thank you for joining us on the Bill Press Pod. It's my pleasure. So you certainly stirred up the firestorm of this uh, latest issue of The Atlantic. Your article I have in front of me, Trump's next coup has already begun. Coup, that's a loaded word, Bart Gelman. Did you use it deliberately to mean Trump is trying to overthrow the U.S. government? I think there's ample evidence that Trump tried to overthrow the lawful election of 2020. Uh, He tried to uh, remain in the White House despite losing the election. And whether technically that constitutes a coup is not, frankly, especially significant to me. It conveys the idea that you want to take power illegitimately against the will of the people. Right. Contrary to what some of your critics have said, and I'm a writer, I understand, you're not exaggerating to score a point or to uh, scare people and get more readers. I think I'm uh, writing very precisely about what's happening, which is that uh, there is a candidate and a party in this country that uh, is not prepared to lose an election and is prepared to win uh, by putting its thumb on the scale, by corrupting the referees. Simply put, What's happening right now uh, on the Republican side is an attempt to ensure that whether or not Trump wins at the polls, uh, and I'm talking about the Electoral College Mm -hmm. state by state, he will be named president-elect. That is just profoundly anti-democratic, and it is is what's happening. Are Democrats taking this threat seriously enough? Are the American people taking this threat seriously enough? Well, in reverse order, the American people, uh, according to polls, are not especially worried about the health of our democracy. In particular, 
Democrats and independents are not especially worried about the health of our democracy. Republicans are worried, but it's their own false belief that the last election was rigged that is the threat to democracy. So is that because the Democrats and independents just don't understand what's going on? Yes, and it's also because uh, Trump and the Republican Party and the whole uh, right-wing media ecosystem that support them have been pounding the message for more than a year now that the constitutional institutions that make up our democracy and that validate elections can't be trusted, and that the last election was stolen by fraud. And that message has been pounded home over and over and over again with an immense volume of nonsense, uh, quote-unquote, evidence all of which is manufactured and fabricated and, uh, and distorted. But if you're inside that ecosystem and hearing those messages, the volume of the propaganda can just overwhelm you. Uh, and what I hear you saying is that is not being met by a corresponding effort on the part of the Democrats to tell people exactly what Trump is up to and what the results would be were he to succeed. Uh, uh, do I hear you correctly? I think that's right. The Democrats are, uh, to some extent, not paying attention. The ones who are paying attention don't have everyone's ear. And I think that there's a larger problem, which is 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 that the Democratic Party is looking upon the Republican maneuvering with disbelief. That there's a disbelief that it could really happen here, that an election can be stolen. And I I think that disbelief is getting in the way of urgent response. Right. You point out that January 6th, in this context, as appalled as people might be by it, it was, as you point, you call it just a, a practice, right? Could be seen as like a rehearsal to the real coup that is already underway, led by Donald Trump. How does that next coup, if you will, or the follow-up coup differ from January 6th? And where is it taking place? Well, first of all, you have to understand what January 6th was. It wasn't an event that came out of nowhere. It wasn't a moment of chaos. It was an integral part of a coherent plan to reverse the results of the last election. The idea was that Trump would take advantage of the fact that Biden won in a series of uh, battleground states that are controlled by Republicans at the local legislative level. Republicans run the state house and state senate in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, all of which states Biden won narrowly. So Trump wanted those state legislatures mm -hmm. to invalidate Biden's victory and send electors to the Electoral College representing Trump instead. The January 6th event in Congress was simply to buy time. It was to prevent Congress from making the final count of the electors and give time for more state legislatures to try to take back their citizens' votes and substitute Trump votes. So having failed to do that January 6th, what are they doing to be more successful or to bring that about in 2024? What's happening is that Trump and his people uh, are going around the country searching for every obstacle that prevented him from overturning the last election and pulling that obstacle out by the roots. And so the individual officials who refused to go along with the coup last time, um, who said, no, the vote is the vote, uh, Biden won, I'm not going to change that for you, they're being hounded out of the Republican Party, mm -hmm. or they're being primaried or they're being bypassed by new laws that say those officials no longer have the power to certify an election, or 
all those things combined. Let's take a look at what happened in Georgia. Uh, Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State who oversees elections in Georgia, a lifelong Republican, refused Trump's infamous request by telephone, which was recorded, that he overturned the results in Georgia, that he find enough votes for Trump that, uh, that Trump would defeat Biden in Georgia when he, in fact, had lost. The Republican Party in Georgia has censured him. Trump has recruited another Republican to run against him uh, for Secretary of State. And this other Republican has stated that he would never have certified Biden's victory. So he's simply stating baldly on the record that he would fix an election. And meanwhile, the Republican state legislature, for good measure, has removed Brad Raffenberger's powers as Secretary of State to certify the election at all. They have removed him as a voting member of the State Board of Elections, and they have added one more provision that says that this Republican-controlled state legislature can fire any county election official for what they regard as good cause. Uh, And they've talked about this in the context of Fulton County, which is Atlanta, which is a Democratic stronghold. So if they don't like the way the count is being conducted in Fulton County, they could fire the county election administrator Mm -hmm. and put in someone of their own. So this is just a a comprehensive across-the-board effort to ensure that the referees of the next election in Georgia will be dominated by the state Republican Party and dominated by people who believe, or at least they purport to believe, that Trump actually won Georgia in the last election. So is what they're doing legal? Is it constitutional? Well, see, this is the trouble with these plans. The legislature makes laws. And if the legislature wants to make laws stating that (laughs) it's in charge of deciding on the election, then it's not easy to stop them. It's not clear that there's any constitutional objection or a a federal legal objection to these things. They're profoundly subversive of democracy, but they use the forms of democracy to do their damage. Right. We remember January 6th particularly because of the violence. Do you see that this, either deliberately or not, this next coup, which is underway again in several states all at the same time at several levels, basically a nonviolent coup? It's not clear to me that it will stay nonviolent. Trump has created uh, the first mass political movement that is in favor of violence uh, that we've had for 100 years in this country. The last one is the 1920s when the second KKK arose and you started to have large numbers of middle-class white people who were prepared to use violence for political ends. There is a disturbing series of polls done by the University of Chicago over the uh, spring and summer, and there's a new one coming out soon. They were looking for people who agreed with two propositions. One stated flatly that the election was stolen and Biden is an illegitimate president, full stop. Mm -hmm. The other said violence is justified to restore Trump to power in the White House. Those are extraordinary propositions. And in any normal time period in American history, they would get very little support. There are about 21 million Americans who agree with both of those propositions, which is certainly a minority, even a minority of the Republican Party, but a plenty large one. And uh, Robert Pape, a political scientist at Chicago, has compared that number to the number of people, uh, the percentage of the population in Northern Ireland that supported violence in order to win political freedom from the British. And he said the numbers are comparable. In Ireland, you got the troubles. You got many years of bloody violence from a support base about the same size. 
we wonder when we see the video over and over again of what happened on January 6th, and you talk to some of these people, you write about that in your article, and we're talking about these people in this latest poll who see violence as part of the solution. I, I guess my question is, who are these people and where are these people? These people cross all the usual demographic boundaries for people who would support political violence at any other time. Ordinarily, people who support political violence uh, or conduct it are primarily young men, right. uh, unemployed, low education. Right. What we're seeing with the defendants in the January 6th insurgency, people who were arrested have a median age of 42, which is wildly out of sync with the usual, are middle class, white collar, employed, prosperous well-educated. It's a very different demographic from what we've seen before. And these are Americans. It's, it's, it's America. It's a group of people who come primarily from places where the vote was close between Biden and Trump, especially where Biden had a narrow victory. They had been in a position of power in a red county, and suddenly blue is encroaching and winning. And that loss of status seems to have driven many of them to Washington on that day. The other notable thing about where the insurgents came from is they came heavily from counties in which the proportion of the white population was declining, mm -hmm. which there were fewer white people, non-Hispanic, last year than there were 10 years ago. Well, that, that leads to my next question, which I wanted to get to anyway, which is, to what extent... Is, is this subversion, if I can use that word, based on racism, based on people who just see a threat to the white race and Trump is their savior? There is a lot of fear and resentment along racial lines that cuts across many, by no means all, of the Trump supporters and especially the ones who are inclined toward violence. This group of 21 million I talked about, they looked for other things that they all believed in. And the one proposition that got the most support was that minorities in this country uh, had more rights than white people mm. did. That is to say, it's one of the fundamental tenets of a doctrine called the Great Replacement, which is a white power, white supremacist idea that some hidden hand, often described as Jewish, is deliberately increasing the population of black and brown people to displace white Christian Americans from their rightful position in society. Uh, this is something that uh, Tucker Carlson talks about openly, that Trump borrows rhetorical tropes from uh, from time to time, and it seems as though there is a significant chunk of Trump support that is motivated and driven by these fears. This uh, great replacement theory, I guess not for the first time, but we certainly heard that loud and clear in Charlottesville, right? The Jews will not replace us. Exactly. Maybe we should have... Uh, taken more seriously what we saw in Charlottesville as a harbinger of what was going to happen on January 6th. What I think we're learning is that those people in Charlottesville were not some tiny fringe minority, mm -hmm. that the fears that they were speaking to and the hatred that they were trying to arouse, you know, has considerably broader support in the population of conservatives and Trump supporters in this country. It's not to say that, that they're all white supremacists, they're not, but the most passionate and intense of them are worried that minorities are displacing them in American society. And as you pointed out, this is happening in several different states at several different levels. But to what extent is this entire movement organized or is it? And if so, who are 
I mean, aside from Donald Trump, who are its leaders? It's distributed. It's, it's an interesting question. Donald Trump personally has gone around looking for revenge, uh, and more than revenge, I yeah. think, against everyone who got in his way or who voted against him. So he's endorsed candidates for Secretary of State. He's endorsed primary challengers in for state legislative positions, which is highly unusual for a president or a former president. He's gone right down almost to the local level. But people who are competing to win support from Trump's passionate base, from this mass movement of his, are outdoing each other in finding ways to support the idea that the election was stolen from Trump and to support the most extreme measures that, in their view, will prevent election theft the next time, but that really put them in the position themselves of stealing an election. I want to ask you more about whether Trump, who failed in his efforts while he was inside the Oval Office, can be as effective or even more effective when he is now outside the Oval Office. Bart Gelman, our guest, staff writer for The Atlantic. Take a quick break and we'll be back with Bart Gelman. Today's podcast with Bart Gelman brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, proud sponsors of the Bill Press Pod, and we're very grateful to have their support of the members of the UFCW, led by President Mark Perrone, uh, those people who serve us with such uh, efficiency and do such a great job at our big retail stores like Nordstrom's and Macy's, our big grocery chains like Lucky's and Safeways, uh, our meat and poultry processing houses, chemical plants, and cannabis plants as well, all the good work of the members of the UFCW, We thank them, salute them, and ask you to check out their website at ufcw.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back on the Bill Press Pod. Thanks again for joining us today for a very important conversation about what's going on led by Donald Trump. Barton Gelman from The Atlantic calls it uh, uh, the next coup that January 6th was just a warm-up for what's happening now. Bart, welcome back. So let me ask you about Donald Trump. First of all, do you think he's going to run again in 2024? I think unless biology intercedes, <laughs> uh, he will run and he will be the nominee. I don't think he has it in him to let the spotlight shine on someone mm-hmm. else. I, I think he's simply not willing to pass the torch and pass the fundraising. I think he's bent on revenge against Biden and against the country that 
voted him out. I just don't see him passing the opportunity. And there's no one who can stop him if he decides to run. Do you think Donald Trump can win a fair election? That's certainly possible. There's no way to say he couldn't win a fair election. Democrats have been pretty well battered in Joe Biden's first year. Trump won 74 million votes, which uh, would have been a record if it hadn't been the fact that Biden won more than that. Uh, Sure, he could win, but he's not taking the chance on a fair election. It almost seems like he thinks he can't win a fair election, so he has to do everything he can to negate um, a fair election. But when you look recently at Donald Trump, uh, as you point out in your article, he lost 64 out of 65 cases to challenge the last election in court. Recently, courts ruled against him, saying he had to turn his documents over to the uh, January 6th committee. Another judge ruled against him, saying he had to turn his tax returns over to Congress. So is Donald Trump losing steam? No, he's not, unfortunately. The many lawsuits and clownish quasi-hearings and press conferences in the last attempt to overthrow the election were in many ways distractions from the central thing that was going on. And the central thing that was going on was Donald Trump and his people trying to persuade state legislatures to take control of their state electors and appoint electors for Trump, even though their state voters had voted for Biden. That's something that they think is possible because of a particular reading they've made of the Constitution. In in Article 2, it says Mm -hmm. that electors for each state will be determined in such manner as the legislature may decide. And it used to be the legislators did just appoint electors back in the days of the founders. Uh, There wasn't a popular vote at all. But that hasn't been true for more than 150 years. And the idea that you can now throw away the votes of the voters and appoint electors yourself as a legislature is highly anti-democratic and highly controversial. But there is some chance uh, that they could win in the Supreme Court with that argument. Right. Ultimately, it would be decided by the Supreme Court, where with this Supreme Court, I guess one could not... (laughs) hold much hope, right, that it would rule against the states. It's not a gimme. It's not clear to me um, how it would go. But there are four members of the Supreme Court now who have shown sympathy for the doctrine of independent state legislatures, which means that the legislature gets to decide on the electors. And we have not heard from Amy Coney Barrett about this. So there is a scenario in which the court would bless this maneuver in which the state legislature just decides that the people's vote uh, doesn't matter. I mean, they wouldn't say that the people's vote doesn't matter. They would say that there's, this election has been marked by fraud and irregularities, and we are forced to uh, select the electors ourselves for the integrity of the process. But, I mean, everyone will understand what's happening. We see in, and we hear occasionally from Republicans, most recently Chris Christie, who was with Trump, until he wasn't, but for a long time with Trump, but also from Christine Todd Whitman, from Liz Cheney, from Adam Kinzinger, and others who are saying Trump is not the future of the Republican Party. We've got the Republican Party. We have to get the Republican Party back to its roots, basically, the party of George W. Bush or Ronald Reagan. Do you hold out any hope that those people are going to succeed? It depends on the time frame you're talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, but But right now, the people you named, you could name all the rest of them and put them on, on the fingers of two yeah. hands. The Republican Party leadership briefly broke with Trump after January 6th. You had very strong denunciations of Trump 
from uh, Mitch McConnell, from Kevin McCarthy, from Lindsey Graham, many, many other members who said he had gone too far. He was responsible for this grotesque attack on the Capitol. And within a matter of days, they were shutting up. And since then, the party is driving out anyone who insists on stating the apostasy that Trump was responsible for January 6th or that January 6th was a big deal. And Liz Cheney, who was the number three in the in the Republican leadership, mm-hmm. uh, has been driven out of leadership and may lose her seat in the House uh, because she uh, insisted that Trumpism is not the way. Eventually, the party will get over Trump, but eventually is a long time, and I don't think we're going to get there by 2024. Right. So I want to come back and, and ask you about what the Democrats should be doing about this. What can they do? What should they be doing? to counter, again, what a lot of people don't understand is going on, which is a direct assault on our democracy, our our electoral system. What can Democrats do? What should they be doing, starting with the president? Well, as a preliminary, I'm not the right person to ask that, right? I mean, I I have identified a problem and called attention to it, and it's for smarter people than me to solve it. But certainly, small d democrats people who care about our constitutional institutions should pay more attention than they are paying to local elections and to local positions like election supervisor in in your own township or county election supervisor who who are your state representative and state senator what are they saying about this who's the secretary of state of your state who's on the state board of elections Uh, people can get involved in this because these are the places where state elections will be decided and where republicans are putting a tremendous amount of effort into sort of infiltrating and taking over those vital institutions on the national level there are important voting rights bills Mm -hmm. that are stuck in the senate because of the filibuster and nobody has yet persuaded joe manchin and kristen cinema to modify the filibuster to allow these bills to go through but most of the time the filibuster effort has been directed elsewhere it's been directed at the social and economic spending bill and not the voting legislation biden has clearly placed priority on covid and climate and the economy and social spending above keeping our electoral system functioning properly, that may turn out to be a very big mistake. Not really sounding the alarm. What about the role of Merrick Garland? Uh, Even a lot of Democrats have said that Merrick Garland seems to be asleep at the switch on this issue, other than filing charges against Steve Bannon. He's not going after any of the Trump or the top people who are involved in this movement. And we've even seen some of the sentences that have been handed out for some of the January 6th uh, insurgents or terrorists uh, have been not much more than a slap on the wrist. Department of Justice not doing its job here? It's hard to say whether the Department of Justice is doing its job here. First of all, there was a systematic effort to overturn a lawful election the last time. It was led by Donald Trump. It seems to me that there has to be criminal behavior implicated in that statement. And if it can be proved, the thing is, you have to you have to meet all the formal elements of a stated statutory crime, and you have to have evidence for it, and you have to think hard about what the defense would be. The problem is that we don't see any public sign that the Justice Department is pursuing those crimes. It's pursuing the foot soldiers who went into the Capitol on January 6th, and not the people who sent them there, and not the people who tried to get legislators to throw away millions of votes in their state. And it's possible, nonetheless, that the Justice Department has a vigorous investigation going on. It could have grand juries that are taking evidence, and we don't know about it yet. I hope that they're they're doing 
more than it looks like they're doing. Uh, boy, do I share that hope, but I agree with you. We don't see uh, any signs of it uh, at all. Some people have said that the greatest impact of these efforts of Donald Trump, to which he's already largely succeeded, is that people are losing their faith in our electoral system, have maybe lost their faith in our democracy. I want to ask you, having talked to so many of these people and been out there in the field and looked at it up close, do you still have faith in our democracy and its ability to survive this attempted coup? I have faith in this country and I have faith in our democracy. And I don't know whether it's a sign of my own failure of conviction or my own uh, unwillingness to look at the truth. But I, I think somehow or other we will pull out of this and that we will not allow someone to steal an election in this, in this country for the presidency. But I don't know how that's going to happen when I look at it. And you want the American people to know, right, that what's going on led by Donald Trump, this assault on our democracy is to use maybe the overworked phrase, a clear and present danger. That is what I want people to know. I, I, I believe that uh, this is urgent, uh, that we're in a democratic emergency, that this country is capable of losing its democracy, and that everyone needs to pay attention. Well, you have sounded the alarm, and I hope the American people listen and respond. Bart Gelman, thanks so much for joining us today on the Bill Press Pod. How can people follow you when you're not here on the podcast? Uh, Barton Gelman on Twitter and at theatlantic.com, where the, the current cover story uh, is up. And again, that's the January-February issue of The Atlantic, so uh, all of you have a lot of time to find it and then to act or react accordingly. Hey, Bart Gelman, thanks so much for joining us again. Happy holidays, and thanks for having me. And that's a wrap for today's podcast with Barton Gelman. Again, check out the current issue of The Atlantic uh, for his article, Trump's Next Coup Has Already Begun. All right, in this holiday season, a little change of schedule. Our roundtable this week will be on Thursday, not Friday, on Thursday, December 23, coming up in just a couple of days. So take care of yourselves. Still be careful and wear that mask and practice your social distancing. And then come back and see us for the roundtable on Thursday, December 23rd, right here on the Bill Press Pod.